0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracetysd.com.
1: About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again, again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying Once again, the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God, but but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned." but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Can you pray with me, church? Father, Lord, we, we, it's amazing how much grace and truth your word delivers on us each day. Lord, may we be a, a church that's always reminded that we stand and breathe and live by the word of God. Lord, our community cannot stand without the word of God. Our faith cannot stand without the word of God. Lord, I pray for each one here. I pray for the souls and the heart of everyone that's sitting in this auditorium and for those that are not here, for those that are outside, that we may, ha- we may have our hearts grieve to show them the gospel. Lord, I pray that for, da- for our daily Uh, lives a routine that our lives may be transformed by the gospel by the good news of jesus christ so lord i pray today that you wrestle with our hearts make it heavy transform change humble us open our hearts lord to you i pray for randall lord that he may deliver the message that you have appointed to this day and I, I pray for our church that you may open their hearts to this day, today. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen.
0: All right. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Good morning, everyone. I heard everybody's really excited when the sun came out, weren't we? We were just like, yes, yes. I feel you. I'm the same way. Um, and so, if this is your first time here, my name is Randall, and um, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace City. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our series in the book of Hebrews. Now, from the beginning of the summer, we've been walking through doing an overview of the book of Hebrews. And the purpose is, as, as you go through a book of the Bible, one of the things that you get is the whole picture of what it's about. And so what we've seen the book of Hebrews uh, continue to point to again and again is to bring these Old Testament stories, but then say, this was about Jesus. This is about Jesus. Right, so as we walked through the Bible, uh, the book of Genesis from the beginning of the year, again and again, we've been talking about how the gospel, the message of Jesus is all through the scriptures. And so this summer, we're, we're studying the book of Hebrews, and we are in this text today that is a very important text. It's Hebrews 11, uh, 5.11 uh, through 6.12 is what we're going to be walking through. And this is an important text because for us, it's, it's, it can be hard to understand. Hold on, what is this saying? What does this mean? This, this seems like a very uh, scary text. And it is. It is. Because here's the message today. It's this. When Jesus isn't enough. When Jesus isn't enough. In the book Finishing Strong, Steve Farrar uh, compared three preachers. that were gaining great notoriety throughout the U.S. in 1945. All three of them were gathering huge crowds of people to hear them preach. The preachers were Chuck Templeton, Braun Clifford, And Billy Graham and for our rights he says you've heard of Billy Graham but what about Chuck Templeton and Braun Clifford have you ever heard of them he says that Chuck Templeton was uh, by one seminary president after after hearing Templeton preach one evening to an audience of thousands of people called him the most gifted and talented young man in America for preaching 1946, the National Association of Evangelicals published an article of men who were best used of God. And the article highlighted the ministry of Chuck Templeton. But also Billy Graham was never mentioned in that article. Uh, For Braun Clifford, at at the age of 25, it was said that Clifford touched more lives, influenced more leaders, and set more attendance records than any other clergyman, his age in American history. National leaders vied for his attention. He was tall, handsome, intelligent, and eloquent. Hollywood invited him to audition for movie roles. It seemed as if everything was falling into place for Braun Clifford. But just five years later, Templeton left the ministry to pursue a career as a radio and television commentator and, and, and newspaper columnist. Templeton had decided he was no longer a believer in Christ in the orthodox sense of the term. By 1950, he wasn't even in the game any longer, no longer believed in the validity of the claims of Jesus Christ. By 1954, Clifford had lost his family, his ministry, his health, and then his life. Alcohol and financial irresponsibility had done him in. He wound up leaving his wife and their two Down syndrome children. At just 35 years of age, this once great preacher died from cirrhosis of the liver in a rundown hotel in the edge of Amarillo. His last job was selling used cars in the panhandle of Texas. Some pastors in that area in Amarillo took up a collection among themselves in order to purchase a casket for his body so they could be shipped back east for a decent burial in a cemetery for the poor. In 1945, three young men with extraordinary gifts were preaching the gospel to multiplied thousands of people across the nation. Within 10 years, only one of them still held tightly onto Jesus. One of the scariest passages for me in Scripture is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, not every one of you who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you see that? why that's one of the scariest passages in Scripture? It's because these are people, from what Jesus is saying, that did many works in the name of Jesus. But the difference was, is what Jesus says, is they never, I never knew you. I never knew you. Right? We see all of the outside exterior of the things that we think are, are successful, But what does Jesus say success looks like? It's to be known by him. To be known by him. And so if this was true for those preachers, what does it mean for us? If it was true as Jesus talked to people and said, hey, there are going to be people who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things for you? In your name... Jesus didn't say, no, you didn't do those things in my name. He didn't say that. He says, no, I never knew you. What does that mean for us? Well, our text today is Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 12, and we're going to break that down. But as we've been talking about, the Christians in this letter are most likely urban Christians living in a very pluralistic society, many belief systems, much like today. And they're facing immense persecution and suffering for their faith, So the temptation that they felt was to push away their faith and push away Jesus and just start to assimilate to the culture. But there's another side to these Christians. They were also Jewish Christians. And so the temptation was for them that they could just kind of lean back into those same Jewish traditions more than Jesus And more than the the reality of the identity that God had given them, that Jesus had given them, and say, you know what, I'm going to hold on to my ethnic identity and my ethnic religion more than I'm going to hold on to the identity that Christ gives me. I'm going to lean into that because it's more comfortable. And so today, how does the author, again, we don't know who the author of, of Hebrews is, but but how does the author address their current faith and where they're at personally at this point? Well, he helps them in three ways, okay? And so he challenges them by, if you're taking notes, number one, diagnosing shallow faith, two, exposing false faith, and three, encouraging authentic faith. Okay, diagnosing shallow faith, exposing false faith, and encouraging authentic faith. And so the first one is diagnosing shallow faith. And so let's look at verses um, in 5, 11 through 14. Here's what it says. About this, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice of distinguishing good from evil. And so, first, the author is diagnosing that shallow faith. Now, how does he do that? Well, he says, What does this shallow faith look like? What, is it, what does it look like to have a very immature faith? In God, well, in verse 11, he says, You have become dull of hearing. And so, what that can look like is this I already know this stuff. I already know the basics. I already know the, the message of Jesus. I get that. Like, I grew up in Sunday school. Come on, I know all the flannel graph stuff. I know all of that. I've been to the camps. I'm good. <laughs> I'm set, right? It says you become dull of hearing. A simple word for that is the word pride. Pride. Right? It just kind of sneaks into our lives. It's it's very sneaky. Pride can sneak in at any moment. But we can get to this point where we just kind of start to tune things out because of this idea that I already know it's And so as he's speaking to the listeners here, these are people, again, Jewish descent, who say, I already know all the Bible stories. I get it. I grew up with it. But he tells them that they're dull of hearing. Verse 12 says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Right? They've gotten so stagnant in their faith that instead of growing, instead of maturing, they're just staying right where they're at because they're comfortable. Verse 12 says, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles. To teach you again the basic principles. Here's the thing we talk about at Grace City all the time. The gospel of Jesus is not the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A to Z. It's everything. Right, and so again, it's like the basic principles. not holding on to, but you need somebody to continue to be like, okay, you need to focus on Christ. But yet they they. They've they've just kind of like grown stagnant and stale. Verse 12, milk, not solid food. And then verse 3 says, unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now Ephesians 4, 12 through 14 talks about the job of leaders and pastors. And here's what it says. It says to attain, the, the goal is for the people of the church to attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed or be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Here's the thing we need to know today just because somebody opens up the Bible doesn't mean they're telling you the truth, okay? Just because somebody says, hey, here's what the Bible says, doesn't mean it's actually what the Bible says. All right? And so that's something that we just need to know as Christians. And so the goal and in, in, in the focus of anybody who's teaching the Word of God should be for you and me to grow in our relationship with God, with God, with Christ. Because he says that it is easy for us to be like children, tossed to and fro in the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Here's the thing my wife took uh, our kids, along with um, our intern Hannah, to the beach this past week. And um, I asked my daughter, I said, How was it? She says, It was crazy, it was terrible. I said, why? She says, I got in the ocean and I just started getting slammed by the waves every which way. And the thing is that in many ways, if, if we're not growing in our relationship with Christ, you're going to feel like that. You're going to get tossed by the waves. If, and you're going to feel like, okay, is this really what the Bible says? And you just you start. Just st- Stirred up in here, confused? He said, no longer. Like, do, do, does, should you live in that? Shallow faith. And so, what separates shallow from mature faith? Well, verse 14, he says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What is this good and evil? Well, commentator D.A. Carson says that that, that's not just good from evil in a moral sense. Because that's what we can read, right? Oh, it's just knowing what's good and, and evil. No, no, no. He says, but also good from evil, I think in this context, in a discernment sense. In a sense of understanding what scriptures really do teach, Charles Spurgeon said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong, it is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Okay, and so you need to lean in to understand the Word of God and say, okay, is this really what it's saying? Because you can get thrown off track really quickly. One of the things my kids do all the time, they say, Dad, come come over here. Dad, you gotta get me this game. Looking at their the iPod, you know, and they're like, okay, you, Dad, this game is free. Free. All right, fine, I'll get you the game. And then they come to me later, they say, Dad, this thing costs $2. Can you give me $2? Here's $2 from my bank account. here you go like you know here's my savings like two dollars two dollars and then it's like they just start paying into this thing and I'm like stop the game's not free it's not free this is how they get you this is a trap and here's the thing about the gospel because of what Jesus has done for us and grace it is free But there will be people who will tell you that there. here's what you need to do to earn it. Here's what you need to do to earn it. Jesus isn't enough. And so they start adding these other things that you got to do. And it stops becoming about Jesus and it starts becoming about you. Do you see where it can just get twisted? Because you can say, well, th- those are good things that you're asking me to do. But again, is it Christ is the gospel. And so we can get deceived really quickly. And so shallow faith, he's diagnosing what shallow faith looks like. But secondly, it's this, exposing false faith. Exposing false faith. Look at at verses 1 through 6. He says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, And of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, what was the false faith that they were holding on to? Well, verse 1 tells us that it says that they need to move on to maturity. Again, repentance from dead works. Dead works. What are dead works? Works that make you feel like you're a good person and so God has to love you because of the works that you've done. Works where you feel like, I'm earning God's love, grace, and favor. Works that are not relying on God, but are relying on self. Do you see it in the second part of this verse? He says this, he says and of faith toward God. Right, many times what we can do is we can think that our relationship with God is based on how do I work my way up to God? How do I work my way toward him? But what we see is that the gospel of Jesus is that Christ worked his way down to me. Christ met me in my sin. See, there's some thinking uh, that we can latch on to and think that here's the things that I got to do to work my way toward God. But what we have to see is that God worked his way toward us in Christ. And that because of what he's done for me, met me right where I'm at, it's that God loves me because of what Jesus has done. See, we think that this is faith that we're working towards God, but really it's it has to be faith from God. From God. It's receiving what Jesus has done for us. It's receiving Christ. See, verse 2 talks about this. It says, And of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, many believe that that what they've latched themselves onto is these uh, Jewish traditions and teachings. And so they're just holding onto these things. They're holding onto these things and they're rejecting Christ in the midst of it. Again, commentator D.A. Carson says, in this specific case, judging by the whole book and not just by these verses, there's a desire to go back to the old rites, the old traditions, the old covenant in, in such a way that their true pointing to Christ is not seen. One is fixating on the old covenant and does not see how it is pointing to the new which now has dawned. As a result, the effect of all this is to revitalize or relativize the exclusive sufficiency of Christ in all his works. Here's the thing one of the comments that I keep getting is as we go through the book of Genesis, is people saying, I didn't know that the gospel was in Genesis. I didn't know that the message of Jesus was all throughout the Bible. And I just want to tell you, like, for a long time, I didn't either. I didn't either. But when you start to read through the Bible, you start to see Christ, and you start to see that this is one cohesive message it is one cohesive message throughout the whole scriptures. And what's, what, what this commentator is saying is that as they're holding on to the old way of doing things, they're just reading the, 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 the scriptures, the Old Testament, right? And they're just saying, okay, well, Moses is still the hero and Abraham's still the hero and all these people. When we've been talking about Jesus is the only hero. All of these are failed people, people who struggled, who had, who had doubts, who had all of these fears, who had all of these things that were wrong with them. Right, But in many ways, we want to lift these people up. But what we're seeing is that all throughout the scriptures, there's only one hero, and it's God. God is the hero. And so they are saying, we just want to hold on to the old way of viewing things and doing things. And so what's the conclusion? Well, verse 4 through 6 is really something that should really sink deep. He says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gifts and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and of the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. What do you Different commentators translate this differently. Some say that these are people who have come into the church who have experienced what the church is about and and, and what God's people are about. They've tasted of communion. They've gone to the communion table. They've done all of these things. Yet they didn't see Jesus in all of it. They just did the ritual thing. They, They didn't repent of the works that they're doing because they just thought it was another thing to check off the list. They didn't see that it was about Jesus the whole time. Remember what I said? Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. We don't just do these ritualistic things to come together and say, look at what I've done today and check it off the list. No, again, what he's saying is this. We're rejecting the the crucifixion of Christ. We're rejecting the gospel if we just move forward and say, done. George Guthrie says, repentance in 6, 4 through 6 is impossible because there is nowhere else to go for repentance once one has rejected Christ. The apostate, the one who just kind of leaves, who, who just doesn't have faith in Christ, in effect has turned his or her back on the only means available for forgiveness before God. Again, why do we keep preaching the gospel every week? Why does everything flow back to Jesus? It's because he's the only one who can forgive sins. He's the only one who died for sins. See, but there are false things that we can place our faith in other than Jesus and say, well, that's really what my faith is built on. The only foundation is Christ and the only foundation is what he's done for us. See, if Jesus isn't enough now, he'll never be enough in the future. He is the greatest gift now. Now. And so how does he leave this? Well, he's encouraging authentic faith. Look at verses nine through 12. It says this, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and, and the love that you have shown for his name in and, and serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each of you to, to show the same earnestness To have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. You know, this today's message is really heavy. It's a heavy text. But at the end here, this is this is the encouragement. This is it right here. He says, Where does the author point to for authentic faith? He says this, verse 10. For God is not unjust. For God is not unjust. Here's the thing he's saying. He's saying, God knows. God knows. He knows your heart. He he knows the truth. He he knows about that relationship. Here's a side note. You know, sometimes we, we look at people and we try to think, okay, is that person a Christian? Are they not a Christian? All those types of things. You know what I'm saying? Here's the encouragement today. You and I aren't the judge. It says God is not unjust. He's the judge. And we're not the Holy Spirit. Isn't that the great part? I'm not the Holy Spirit. It actually says that the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. Right? So it's it's not mine. It's His. And so... Today, the encouragement is that God knows and he's not unjust. Verse 11 says, we, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. See, what's, what's the best indicator on what our faith is built on? Right, like what's the thing, because here's the beautiful thing about God. In his grace, and his love, he exposes the false faith that we have. Those little things that we're just putting our faith in more than Jesus. He's just like uncovering it, right? Like here, here's what you're putting your faith in other than Christ. But over time, he, the, the, the best indicator is time. It's time. See, many times we get discouraged in our faith because we don't see immediate change. But I want you to hear this today. Because of the grace of God, it's a process of continually trusting God and trusting that he is able to change us. And authentic faith is constantly reminding oneself of the gospel to the end. It's about Christ, not me. See, Jesus is our hope. And so authentic faith is going to show itself over time. You know, one of the things in the, in, in, um, we, we rent this home, and, and in the backyard, there's this tree. Now, I wasn't there when the tree was planted, but it's kind of on the side of the house. And whether it was just like a little tree or it was the seed, the actual seed of the tree, this tree is massive now. It's massive now. And somebody made a decision to build a wall on the side. Maybe they thought the wall is going to win over the tree. Well, they were wrong because the tree is starting to bust out of the wall. It's like cracking through the wall. Now, that process started a long time ago. But after a seed was planted... After years and years and years and years of watering, this tree is just massive now and alive. See, and and for some of us today, the seed of the gospel has been planted in your heart. Over time, it gets watered. And there are moments where you get really discouraged. You think, am I really a Christian? But let me encourage you with this. Look back in the past year and what has God done? What has he done? See, sometimes growth, it seems like it's really small and incremental and it really doesn't matter. But here's the thing. The tree is going to grow. And many of you have walls right now in which you think there's there's no way that there's going to be breakthrough in this wall. Struggling so much, struggling over the years. No way there's going to be a breakthrough in this wall. But be, let me encourage you. Right now you might not know it, but the gospel is powerful enough to break through those walls in your life. And it's going to take time. And it's going to take a genuine earnestness to come before God and say, God, I need you. I can't do this. I'm struggling right now. I need your grace. But that's what authentic faith looks like. It's understanding again and again it's not about you and me. It's about God and what he can do, not about what I can do. Authentic faith. And so quickly, some takeaways. Just some questions to diagnose our hearts, okay? And I know this is a lot today. And I'm just skimming the surface, really. (laughs) But let's just take some questions to help diagnose our hearts. The first one is this. Where are you spiritually? Where are you spiritually? Are you mature? Spiritual maturity is not just meant for some people. Right? It's like, oh yeah, the pastors and the people who are leaders and all that. that that's the ones that spiritual maturity is meant for. That, that, that's not true. Spiritual maturity is meant for all Christians. That's why the writer of Hebrews is, is, is encouraging them and pushing them towards maturity. He's saying, this is possible in your life. And how does maturity happen? Well, verse 14 says, by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Here's the question I ask myself whenever I listen to teachings and things and I start to read the Bible, I start to filter it through this Is this teaching man centered or Christ centered? Is this teaching about me being the hero or God being the hero? Am I reading this scripture in a me-centered way or a God-centered way? One of the things I'll do is when I'm reading through a scripture, I get this yellow highlighter and I just mark every time it's talking about God. Every time it's talking about God, it was he or God or this or, you know, like him, all these things, like I, I just underline it. Because I have to be reminded again and again, because my mindset is when I come into reading the Bible, this is about me. What am I going to get from this today? How's this going to be about me? The book's not written like that. The book is written, it's about God. What can I learn about him today? And through knowing him, I'm actually going to learn more about myself. But it starts with him. And so any teaching you listen to or anything that you read, like, is it going to be Christ-centered and God-centered? You know, recently I watched a movie called American Gospel. And one of the things it talks about is in America, we've hijacked the gospel of Christ and made it all about us. How can I become more healthy and wealthy and look this way and do these things? How can I progress my life In my dreams, do you understand what I'm saying here? Like, in many ways, we've hijacked the true gospel of Christ. And we try to make it a me-centered gospel, which is no gospel at all. And so again, we have to be very careful about how we view the word and how we interpret things. Because we just want to make it about us. And so that's how we gain spiritual maturity. Discernment to be able to say, okay, this is something that is helpful. Um, Secondly, where do you place your faith? Is your faith based more on what you do for God or on what God has done for you? Right, like do we get rocked when we just have a really bad week and we think that there's no grace for us? Because you're going to have them. There are going to be moments where you're just going to really struggle That week in your faith. But then you're gonna, are you gonna go back to, well, I don't know if God loves me because I had a really bad week? Or are you gonna say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins and meeting me right where I'm at, and you already knew that, and you still love me despite it? Despite my sin, you still loved me. Where do you place your faith? See, here are some signs that you might be placing your faith in something other than the gospel. Feelings of self-righteousness, right? I'm just better than everybody else. I know more scripture and I've done more things. And so I'm up here, all the other people down here, right? Self-righteousness, entitlement. It's like people should be recognizing what I'm doing here. I should be in that position doing this thing, you know, like this is entitlement, Anger, just anger at God, right? There's things that we go through that are tough. I understand. It's hard. But when we just shake our fist at God, look at the response that God gives to Job. Job still struggled with feeling like God, I was doing all these things right. But God met him and said, actually, you didn't. But I still love you. But We can be upset and angry. And that might be revealing that we're placing our faith in something other than God. The feeling of, I deserve this. I've earned this. God, why is this dream not happening? again, are we placing our faith more in that dream or that vision about ourselves accomplishing this or doing this? Or are we placing our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us and that makes us secure and I don't have to prove anything to anybody, right? Third, where do you find your strength to keep going? The interesting thing about verse one, it says this, it says, go on to maturity. And the idea here. Within the Greek, it, it's, it's called a divine passive. Divine passive. The tense of the verse is a divine passive. And this means this. The idea is that you will be carried along by God. The only way you're going to get to maturity is if you surrender and repent of yourself and your own will and say, Lord, it's only going to happen on your strength. Help me to be obedient to you, God, because I can't do it on my strength. And many times what happens is our pride holds us back and saying, I can do this for you, God, and I can muscle this out and muster this strength up. Saying, no, the only way it's going to happen is if God carries you along. Verse 3 says, if God permits. The only way that I can grow is in God. And if he permits, and, and it's his strength. See, our strength to keep going comes from the, the work of the Holy Spirit. You know that, right? Book of Galatians basically says, you guys are crazy if you think you're going to do this on your own strength. Only going to happen through the Holy Spirit's power. Jive Packer calls the work of the Holy Spirit the floodlight ministry. Here's the Spirit's message is always look at Jesus and see his glory. Listen to Jesus and hear his word. Go to Jesus and And have life. Get to know Jesus and taste his gift of joy and peace. Jesus backs this up when he says in John 15, 26, when the advocate comes, he will testify about me. You're going to grow in the grace of God through the Holy Spirit's power as you start to see Jesus all throughout scripture. It's like Luke 24, where it says that their hearts burned when when Jesus opened up the word to them and started to show them, This is me, this is me, this is me, this is me. Again, when we start to see this is about Christ, it will reveal our faith. Lastly, where is our security? You know, I had this conversation with my son. We're driving in the car. He says, How do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved? He was baptized a couple of years ago. He's still young. And in some respects, we this is how we can think about our faith. We can think about our faith like a daisy. He loves me today. He doesn't love me tomorrow. He loves me then. You know, it's like we can think of our faith like that. But do you know that that goes against everything it says in Scripture? <laughs> He, he, you know, again, my my son. He he's like, when he has a, he, when he was younger, he had a bad day. Dad, you gonna kick me out of the family? Like, what's going on? You know, like that type of thing. I'm like, no. You're in, man. As bad as you can be, you know, you're still here, and we're, you're still my son. I still love you, no matter what. I said. He said, Dad, how do I know I'm saved? I said, Son. do you put your faith more in what you do or what Jesus has done for you? He says, Dad, I know that Jesus died for my sins, and so I just trust Jesus. I said, hold on to Jesus to the end. That's how you're saved. That's how you know. When you stand before Jesus Christ, are you going to say, hey, well, I did this. I went to that summer camp. I did all these things. I memorized these Bible passages. Jesus, you got to love me. You hold on to Jesus. You did everything for me. And I, I don't deserve to be here one bit. I don't deserve anything at all. But you've loved me. And just like it says in Hebrews six nineteen through 20, which is later, again, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus, you ran the race for me and you did it perfectly and so I hold on to you knowing that I'm going to stumble along the way but you're going to pick me up every time. That's my security. That's my trust. See, we can live in a way where Jesus isn't enough or we can say Jesus is everything and that's all I've got. So where will you place your faith today? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the book of Hebrews. It's challenging stuff, but it gets down to the root of where we're putting our faith. And you care about that, Lord. And I just thank you that you're not a father that one day we're in, next day we're out. But you're a father that pursues us, loves us, despite us. And that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for every single sin. And so I just pray today, Lord, it's very clear where we're at spiritually so that we can truly repent and put our whole trust and our whole hope on Jesus Christ. So I pray that for each person here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at GraceCitySD.com. Gray City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.